we're going to be studying the fall of Adam and Eve and the consequences of it. Now, believe it or not, this is a highly debated topic among theologians. And most of the debate centers around the question of original sin. Now, I probably need to explain what the term original sin means because it's not what most people think it is. The word original means first or earliest. So most of us think that the term original sin refers to what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden when they ate the forbidden fruit. Let's be honest. How many of you, when you hear the term original sin, that's what you think of? It must be what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden when they ate the forbidden fruit. But you know what? That's not what it is. The term original sin refers to the spiritual condition of man as a result of Adam and Eve's sin. In other words, the effect that Adam and Eve's sin had upon all of mankind. So this is what theologians spend the most of their time debating. Is man totally depraved as Calvinism teaches? Or does man have the ability to recognize, to understand, and to respond to God even though he has a sin nature? So turn with me, if you would, to the book of Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And let's see how the fall of Adam and Eve affected all of mankind. And I want you to follow along with me as I read this passage of Scripture. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall surely not die. For God does know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes will be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. And she gave it also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Now, there are only one of two ways that you can interpret this passage of Scripture, either literally or allegorically. You see, some theologians believe that this story is an allegory. Now, does everyone know what an allegory is? Just in case you don't know what an allegory is, let me define it. An allegory is a story in which the people, things, and events have a symbolic meaning. So those who believe that the story of Adam and Eve is an allegory don't believe that Adam and Eve were real people. They don't believe that they were ever tempted by the serpent or that they actually ate the forbidden fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's just a story with a symbolic meaning. It's, quarter, it's kind of like the, the kids' fairy tales or fables, except this one has a spiritual meaning to it. Now, let me explain the symbolism. And this is the way those who believe it's an allegory interpret this story. Adam represents the rational part of man. Eve represents the sensual, fleshly side of man. And the serpent represents the voice of enticement. So, in this allegorical interpretation, we see an explanation of how sin works in man. Our sensual side gives into the voice of enticement causing us to sin. And then we rationalize what we do. So we see Adam, Eve, and the serpent all playing a role in sinful behavior. Now, let me be brutally honest. The, the allegorical interpretation does not hold water. It sounds good, 
And it sounds right, but it's sloppy exegesis, exegesis conducted by incompetent scholars. The only true interpretation of the story is a literal interpretation. And let me explain why I say that. I'm going to give you four reasons. First of all, Adam and Eve are presented as real people. In Genesis chapter 2, verse number 7, God created the very first man from the dust of the ground. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 and 22, God created the very first woman out of the man's rib. The man was named Adam. In Hebrew, Adam literally means human being or man. But if you dig a little bit deeper, you'll find that it's derived from a root word, which means red dirt or red soil. So Adam means dirt man or mud man. Now, if you're Native American Indian, you might think this is interesting. Most Hebrew scholars believe that Adam had red skin. That's why he was named Adam from the red dirt or the red soil. So you could truly say that Adam was the first Native American, all right? I guess, though, he wasn't an American. But anyways, now this is interesting if Adam means dirt man or mud man because man was made from the dust of of the ground and he returns to dust when he dies. Now, the woman was named Eve. In its simplest form, Eve means life or life-giving. But the full meaning of the name is mother of all life. Look at Genesis chapter 3 verse number 20. I want you to notice that Adam named Eve and he tells us why he named her what he did. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Now what's interesting is that in Genesis chapter 5 verse number 2, God calls both Adam and Eve Adam. He refers to both of them as Adam. Look with me, if you would, in the book of Genesis chapter 5, verse number 2. It says, male and female created he them. Who does he refer to? God. And God blessed them, and he called their name Adam in the day when they were created. So when Adam and Eve were created, God referred to both of them as Adam. Now why in the world does God refer to both of them as Adam? Well, it's because Adam means human being. And whether you're male or you're female, you're a human being, Adam. In fact, as you go through the Old Testament... 90% of the time when you see the word man, and it's not referring to a specific man, but mankind or man in general, it will be the Hebrew word Adam. And that's what man or Adam means. It means man or human being. Now, in Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 through 25, Adam and Eve are married by God. And in Genesis chapter 4, we read about Adam and Eve having children. And finally... In Genesis chapter 5, verse number 5, we're told that Adam lived for 930 years. Go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 5, verse number 5, if you don't mind, and follow along with me as I read it. And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Now, why am I bringing up all of this? Why am I bringing up that he created Adam out of the dust of the ground and he created Eve out of his rib and that they had children? Oh, well, God married them first. And then they had children and he lived for 930 years. 
It's because I want you to understand that after reading so much detail about their life, I have to conclude that Adam and Eve are not symbolic, but they were real people. If they were symbolic, why would you give all of this detail? Why would you name their children? Why would you tell a story about the twins, Cain and Abel? Why in the world would you come in and say, how long did he live? And be specific, 930 years. It's because we're talking about real people. That's the first reason that we know this is not allegorical. Secondly, Genesis is a historical book and it's regarded as literal history. We have the story of Abraham and Sarah in the book of Genesis, Jacob and Esau, Moses and the children of Israel. All of these people and the stories that's recorded in the book of Genesis are real. They are not fictional. So why would you think that Adam and Eve are fictional? They're not. They are real people just like the other characters that are in the book of Genesis. Number three. The geographical locations in connection with the story are historic. In other words, they are real places. So when he's describing the Garden of Eden, one of the reasons that scholars can come in and say, we think that the Garden of Eden was located about right here in the Middle East. The reason they can do that is because they look at the description of the rivers that are flowing out of the Garden of Eden and the description of the story of the setting of it, and they can say, it must have been this place. Let's read Genesis chapter 2, verses 10 through 14, and you'll see what I'm talking about. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted, and it became into four heads. In other words, it branched off into four different rivers. The name of the first is Pison, that is, which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. There's Bdellium and the onyx stone. And the name of the second river is Gion. The same is it that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. Is that a real land? Uh-huh. And the name of the third river is Hidical. Hidical, that is... It which goeth toward the east of Assyria. Do we know where they're talking about in Assyria? Yes, we can go back and see that. And the fourth river is Euphrates. The Euphrates River. Now, if you've got a fictional story, you would set it in a fictional place. But they didn't. Why? Because the story is not fictional. It's literal. And last but not least... The curse that's pronounced on the man, the woman, the serpent, and the earth are all literal. They're not symbolic. Listen to me. The reason that people physically die is because Adam and Eve sinned. The word Genesis means origin or beginnings. And so we're going to go and we're going to see the origin of man. But we're also going to see the origin of sin. This is why sin is in the world. These are the consequences of sin entering into the world. This is why man dies. So we're going all the way back to the beginning, the origin. This is not an allegory. This is a true story, and Adam and Eve were real people. So for those four reasons, we know that the story of Adam and Eve is real. It literally happened, and it explains how sin entered into this world, and that is how it all started. So let's look at the results of the fall. In other words, how it affected everything, and more specifically, how it affected us as human beings. 
Turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 2. Let's read verses 16 through 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. Colon. What does a colon do? It, it, it explain, or it introduces an explanatory clause. So when it says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. So this is going to explain or introduce an explanatory clause which is going to explain why you should not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now, did you notice what God told Adam and Eve? He told them that they could eat of any tree in the Garden of Eden with one exception. The exception was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He told them that if they ate of that tree, they would die. Let's read it word for word. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now, the insinuation is that they would die that very day. But if we continue reading through the book of Genesis, we find that Adam lived for how long? 930 years. Wow. We know that. Adam and Eve must have sinned before they had children. And the reason we know that is because the sin nature was passed on to their children. And we don't see any perfect children running around in the world, right? But had they sinned after they had children, we would have seen two groups of people. We would have seen a group of imperfect children and breeding imperfect human beings who sin. And we would have seen perfect children who grow up to be perfect adults who have perfect children who are righteous and holy. But we don't see that. What we see is Adam and Eve passing along this Adamic nature, this sin nature. So we know they must have sinned, right, before they had children. So get a, to get a perspective on time, let's read Genesis chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. Let's kind of get our head wrapped around the time frame in which Adam and Eve must have sinned and how long they would have lived after they sinned. It says, male and female created he them, and he blessed them, and he called their name Adam. Again, he's calling both Adam and Eve humans in the day when they were created. And Adam, specifically talking about the man, lived 130 years, and he begat a son in his own likeness. Now, why is that important? Why is it important? What does it mean in his own likeness? Does it mean that he looked like him? Does it mean that if Adam had brown eyes, his son had brown eyes? If Adam had curly hair, a son had curly hair. Mm -mm. In his own likeness means he was just like him spiritually. He begat a son who had his nature, his sin nature. So let's continue on. And Adam lived 130 years and he begat a son in his own likeness after his image. And he called his name Seth. And the days of Adam after he had Seth were 800 years. And he begat sons and daughters. In other words, Seth was not the only child. He begat a lot of sons and daughters. And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. 
Now, again, this doesn't mean that Adam only had one child, Seth. Uh Uh-uh. But we do know that he had at least one child by the time he was 130 years old because it specifically mentions that he had Seth when he was 130 years old. And then he lived for how long after that? 800 years. So Adam must have sinned at least 800 years before he died. Now, how do we know that? Well, remember, Adam passed his sin nature on to his children. So he must have sinned before he had children. And, of course, because it mentions Seth at 130, we don't know. You know, we have the story of Cain and Abel. But what's interesting is it mentions Seth. So we know that he must have have sinned at least before the first one's mentioned. Here is Seth. So he lived another 800 years after he sinned. So, if that's the case, why did God say that in that day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die? Now, what's interesting, the word day is the Hebrew word yom. Now, when we were studying creation, what did we find out the Hebrew word yom meant when it said day? 24 hours. God said, in that yom, in that day that you eat of it, you will surely die. So why did God say that? And then we see as we come in that Adam must have sinned before he had children and he lived for 800 years longer, so he must have sinned and then lived for another 800 years at least. So why did God say that? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because they did die that day, just not physically. They died spiritually. Physical death came later as a result of spiritual death. But on the day that they ate of that tree, they spiritually died. And that was the most important type of death. They did exactly, or I should say, it happened exactly the way God said it would. In the day that they ate of that tree, they spiritually died, not physically. In fact, they lived another 800 years after that, or at least Adam did, and then he physically died. But his physical death was a result of spiritual death. Had he never sinned, he would have never physically died. So let me explain what it means to be spiritually dead. Because if you do not understand the concept of being spiritually dead, you really don't understand the concept of salvation. You don't understand that when you physically die, your soul still lives on. You don't understand the concept that you either go to heaven or hell. You don't understand the concept of the great white throne judgment. You don't understand the concept of the second death. You must understand spiritual death to understand the Bible at all and to understand where we come from when we talk about Jesus and about being born again. So let's talk about this concept of spiritual death. We all know that physical death occurs when a person's spirit leaves his body. You see, the first sign that someone is dead is that they quit breathing. Now here's what's interesting. The Greek word for spirit is pneuma, and it literally means breath. So when the spirit leaves your body, 
you quit breathing. And vice versa. When you quit breathing, your spirit leaves your body. Turn to Genesis chapter 2, verse number 7. I gave you the Greek word for spirit. Now let's look at the Hebrew word for spirit. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Now I want you to underline that word breath. He breathed into his nostrils the breath. Underline that word breath. It's the Hebrew word neshama. And it can be translated either breath or spirit. Some translations translate this and he breathed into into his nostrils the spirit of life and he became a living soul. Because this word neshama can either be translated as breath or as spirit. You see, God breathed into man the spirit of life. Of life. So when we talk about our life, we're talking about our spirit. So when a person quits breathing, the spirit of life is gone. It leaves the body. Because in Genesis chapter 2, spirit and breath are synonymous. Now, when Adam and Eve sinned, they spiritually died. Basically, the same thing happened to them spiritually that happens to a person when they physically die. Let me say that again, because this is very important. The same thing happened to them spiritually that happens to a person when they physically die. The spirit left their body. Not their spirit, or they would have physically died. But God's spirit left Adam and Eve's body at the moment they sinned. You see, what most of us don't realize is that before Adam and Eve sinned, the Holy Spirit lived inside of them. Just as it does us today when we become Christians. You see, when Adam and Eve were created, they were righteous and holy, and they were free from sin. Their body was literally the temple of the Holy Spirit, just as ours is if we're a Christian. But when they sinned, the Holy Spirit was forced to leave their body. And just as we physically die when our physical spirit leaves our body, they spiritually died when the Spirit of God left their body. So let me define the term spiritually alive and spiritually dead. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Spiritually alive simply means that the Holy Spirit is living within you. If I were to walk up to you and I was to say, or I was to ask you, are you spiritually alive? Some of you might go, I don't know. Basically what I'm asking is, does the Holy Spirit live inside of you? If the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, you are spiritually alive. If you are spiritually dead, it means that the Holy Spirit does not live inside of you. So if you don't have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you are not spiritually alive. You are spiritually dead. Now, pastor, where do you get this? Well, we get it in the New Testament. Here's what's kind of interesting. Sometimes, the Bible is kind of like science. We assume certain things in science. But the more technology that's discovered and the better technology is, we begin to discover more and more facts about nature and the the world that we live in. So now we can go back and we can look at this and go, "Ah, the reason this person was right is because we now know blah, 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 blah. 
And the reason this person is wrong is because we now know blah, 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 blah. Well, it's the same thing. When we come to the New Testament, there are certain doctrines that are taught. So now that we know those doctrines, we can go back to the Old Testament and we go, this is why this happened. Does that make sense? So I just got through telling you that spiritually alive means that the Holy Spirit is living inside of you. And spiritually dead simply means that the Holy Spirit is not living inside of you. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8 verse number 9 and let me just give you a scripture that supports that. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature but by the Spirit. Now, notice that that word spirit is capitalized. What does that mean? It means it's not talking about a human's spirit. Your spirit, it's talking about God's spirit. If it's talking about man's spirit, it will not be capitalized, right? Okay. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the spirit. If the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ. In the Greek, it's Christal. Usually it's Christos, which is nominative, but this is genitive ablative, which means it's Christ's spirit. And Christ is not Jesus' name. What does Christ mean? Anointed one. It's a title of the Messiah. So what it's saying is if anyone does not have the spirit of the Messiah, why would it be this termed the spirit of the Messiah? Is this different than God's spirit, the Holy Spirit? No. The reason it's termed the spirit of the Messiah or Christ's spirit is because the Holy Spirit cannot come and live inside a human being anymore, not since Adam and Eve sinned, unless they receive Jesus Christ. Therefore, the Holy Spirit sometimes is referred to as the Spirit of Christ. Now, every once in a while, you'll have someone who's not educated, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but you'll have a pastor that's not educated, and he'll make a doctrine on the Spirit of God is different from the Spirit of Christ. And they don't understand that Christ is not a name. Christ is derived from the Greek word Christos, which means anointed one or anointing. The Messiah was known as the anointed one. And the reason the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ is because the Spirit of God cannot live inside of anyone who's not accepted the Messiah. That's the means by which we are reconciled to God and are made spiritually alive by the Holy Spirit coming in and regenerating us. Okay, I'm getting off, but... Do you understand what I'm saying? So let's continue to read this. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to who? Christ. He does not belong to the Messiah. So how do we know if we belong to the Messiah? The Messiah's Spirit's inside of us. The Holy Spirit. Now, look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 13. In whom you also trusted. Who did we trust in? The Christ. The Messiah. Who is? Jesus. In whom you also trusted, Jesus, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also after that ye believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. I want you to underline the word sealed. Sealed is translated from the Greek word sphragizo. Sphragizo refers to a mark or impression that was placed on items to designate ownership. You see, every once in a while, the king or someone who was wealthy would send something, maybe on a ship or through a courier. And what they would do, especially if it was a letter or maybe it was some type of contract, is that they would roll it up and then they would put a wax seal on it and then he would take his seal, his fragizo, and he would seal it there. And no one was to open it 
except the person that it was deemed to go to. But that seal designated that this was from either the emperor or the king or from someone who was very wealthy or someone in an important position. But that seal was basically a marker impression that was placed on the item to designate ownership, that it was coming from that person. Now, I want you to notice what Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 13 is saying. It's saying that when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you, and that's the seal that you're a Christian. It's the proof that you are a child of God. And it means, because the Holy Spirit is inside of you, that you're spiritually alive. Now, if you don't have this Holy Spirit, you are none of His, as the Bible says. You are not God's bottom line, which means you are spiritually dead. Now, let's kind of bring this back to Adam and Eve. God told them, in the day... Yom, in the 24-hour period, that very day that you eat of that tree, you will surely die. They ate of it. Their eyes were opened. They knew something was missing for the first time in their life because they had a sinful nature. They had guilt. They had shame. They realized they needed to cover it up. They tried to hide from God. But let me tell you why they tried to hide from God. Whereas before they walked with God, before the Holy Spirit was inside of them, they communed with God. But when they sinned and that left, he wasn't there. And they tried to hide from him. The Holy Spirit was no longer inside of them. And when the Holy Spirit left, it's a spiritual death that's analogous to physical death. Just as in physical death, when you die, your spirit leaves, your breath leaves. When, you, when Adam and Eve spiritually died, the Spirit of God left. And they became spiritually dead. Now, as a result of being spiritually dead, eventually they physically died. And that's why we physically die now. Now, let me show you something interesting in the New Testament concerning the concept of being spiritually alive. Turn with me to the book of Luke, the fourth chapter, verses 40 through 41. Now, when the sun was setting, all they that had any sick with divers diseases brought them unto him, and he laid his hands on every one of them, and he healed them. And devils also came out of many, crying out and saying, Thou art Christ, the Son of God. And he rebuking them, suffered them not to speak, for they knew that he was Christ. Now what does Christ mean? It's the Greek word Christos. It means anointed one. That's a title of the Messiah. So they knew that he was the Messiah. Now, I want you to notice that the demons instinctively knew that Jesus was the Christ. How did they know that Jesus was the Christ? And I want you to think about this. Because everywhere that Jesus went, and he started to cast out a demon, they would always say, We know who you are. And he would silence them because it wasn't time. 
He was building his ministry. He was, he was uh, actually coming in and discipling all of those who were following him. He was preparing them for the time that he was going to be crucified and, have to, and then resurrected and then ascending the Father and would have to leave them. So there was a time period when he did not want people to know that. And every time that he came and someone was possessed by demons and he would start to cast them out, the demons always knew who he was. Do you remember the man who used to be among the tombs and he had the chains on and they came across the Sea of Galilee? And what's kind of interesting, if you ever go over to Israel and, and you're going on the Sea of Galilee, you can look over there and you can see where this would have happened. He comes running out. He doesn't know who Jesus and the disciples are in the beginning, so he comes running out, and, and everyone was scared of him. And I can just imagine this, because when they came across on that boat and they got out, I'm sure when Jesus t- touched on that ground and he started walking towards the shore or up on the shore, and the disciples were with him, when they saw this demoniac, this, this man that was possessed by demons, demoniac, I'm sure that all the disciples jumped back into the boat except for Jesus. Can you imagine that? Let's be honest. Here this guy comes, everyone knows about him. If you've been around the Sea of Galilee, you've told all your kids, don't ever go over there, don't ever be around that. If you're fishing and your boat starts sinking, swim to the other side. Now, believe it or not, the Sea of Galilee is large, but it's not like any of our lakes. You could probably do that swimming as long as it wasn't a storm. But here's what's funny. Everyone's already told them that. When they see that coming, man, the disciples are back in the boat except for Jesus. But the most interesting thing happens when he gets to the point where he can see Jesus, man, he falls down immediately. And remember, this is legion because there are many demons inside this person. And boy, they fall down. How did they know that Jesus was the Christ? They knew because the Holy Spirit was living inside of Jesus. And they had not seen a man spiritually alive since Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Do you realize when Adam and Eve sinned and they spiritually died and they started having children? These demons who had been around since then and remember what it looked like when Adam and Eve were alive and the Holy Spirit was dwelling within them. For all of these years they have never seen a man with the Holy Spirit living inside of them. In fact, in the Old Testament, if you were a prophet, the Holy Spirit did not live inside of prophets. What happened? The Holy Spirit would come up on a man. And if you've heard me teach on prophecy, they would go into an open-eyed trance. And they would literally speak the words of God. And that's why the sign of the prophet held in the Old Testament. But the most interesting thing about this is these demons had never seen a man with the Holy Spirit living inside of them since Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. So immediately when they see a man spiritually alive, a man who has the Holy Spirit living inside of him, instantaneously they know this must be the Christ. This must be the Messiah because every man that is born is spiritually dead. Every man that is born has the atomic nature, but not this guy. So immediately when Jesus comes, they know who he is. He's the man with the Holy Spirit living inside of him. And you see this all through the Gospels. Every demon that Jesus encounters immediately recognizes him as the Messiah. Who else could he be? 
No man has ever had the Holy Spirit living inside of him. Now, can you imagine what happened after the resurrection of Jesus Christ and all of a the sudden these people start believing in Jesus and poof, they become righteous. Not righteous on their own, but the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And as a result of that, now because of his righteousness, not ours, the Holy Spirit can come and live inside of us. All of a sudden, they start seeing these people become spiritually alive. Poof, 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 poof. And that is a scary thing. And that's why they attack churches and Christians who are doing things for God because they don't want to see the spiritual light coming on. They don't want to see people coming from spiritual death and being transformed into spiritual life. Now, let's get back to the subject of sin. I've kind of gotten off track. And let's look at how it affected mankind. When Adam and Eve sinned and they spiritually died, they passed that condition on to all of their descendants. Turn to Romans chapter 5, verse number 12. That's why I knew back in Genesis when it said, after his likeness and in his image. It wasn't talking about physical likeness and physical image. It was talking spiritually. I know that because of what the New Testament says. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, When Adam sinned, sin entered into the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. So this condition that we're born into or we're born with is referred to as original sin. Now remember, original sin does not refer to the first sin ever committed. It doesn't refer to the sin of Adam and Eve of eating the forbidden fruit. But it refers to the spiritual condition of mankind as a result of Adam and Eve's sin. Now, the whole reason that the scholars chose to use this term to signify the spiritual condition that man is in is because we're born with it. That's why they refer to the spiritual condition of man as a result of what Adam and Eve has done as original sin. Let me see if I can explain this better. The word original means what? First or earliest. When Coca-Cola tells you that it's the original, you remember when they came out with the new Coke? And everyone goes, we don't like the new Coke, we like the original Coke. Well, Coke came back and said, now this is the original Coke. In other words, this was the first Coke, the earliest Coke. So, knowing that, if we go back to the earliest point in our life, what is the earliest point in our life? When does life begin? We're going to go ahead and just settle the issue once and for all. It doesn't matter what politicians say. What does the Bible say? When does life begin? Begin. Conception. So if we go back to the earliest point in our life, our conception, do you know what we find? Sin. When you go back to your earliest point of life at conception, you find sin. Turn to Psalms chapter 51, verse 5. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Oh my gosh! From the moment that sperm made contact with the egg, and it was truly contact ready to go. Adam's nature 
the Adamic nature, sin was there. So from conception, I had Adam's nature. I had his sin nature. That's why in Genesis it says that Seth, and that's why it brings it up. It's coming along and it starts with that child. And okay, from the very beginning, we want you to understand that this child came in the likeness of him in his image. And what it means is it was, it was born with Adam's sin nature. So the term original sin refers to the spiritual condition that we're born with. We are born spiritually dead. Because of our sin nature, the Holy Spirit doesn't dwell inside of us. We are physically alive, but we are not spiritually alive. And so when Jesus comes along and Nicodemus has to come at night, and he wants to know how all this works, and Jesus says, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus scratches his head and says, well, how can a man be born again? Can he climb into his mother's womb again? Now, he's not trying to be funny. He's trying to understand this. And, of course, Jesus says, man, you're supposed to be an expert in the law, and you don't know these things? And then he starts talking about the Spirit. Why does he talk about the Spirit? Because he was telling him that when Adam and Eve sinned, the Holy Spirit left. But when Jesus came, and when we accept him, we are righteous. Not on our own, but we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, according to the book of Galatians. And as a result of that, and also the book of 2 Corinthians, as a result of that, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, and we become spiritually alive. Now, let me show you something else interesting in the New Testament as you're going along uh, these lines. Do you remember when God breathed into man the spirit of life? He created Adam from the dust of the ground, and he gets ready to make him alive. And it says that he breathed into him the breath of life, and of course the word breath in Hebrew means the spirit of life, and he became a living soul. Well, let me show you what Jesus did after his resurrection. Turn to the book of John, the 20th chapter, verses 19 through 22. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Those Jewish leaders had crucified Jesus Christ and they were hiding out. Suddenly, he's talking about after his resurrection, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now this is kind of interesting. He breathes on them. And he says, Receive the Holy Spirit. This has spiritual significance. It is very symbolic. Because as God breathed into Adam and Eve and they became alive, they were also spiritually alive. But because of sin, they had spiritually died. When Jesus is resurrected, he comes to the disciples. He says, peace with you. I want you to know that I'm alive. And what does it take to be born again? Thou must believe in thine heart that God hath what? Raised him from the dead. And you must confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he's the Messiah. And so he says, touch me, feel me, hit there. And boy, it's like, peace be with you. It's like, he's alive. And Jesus says, oh, receive you the Holy Spirit. 
Because man has been spiritually dead since Adam and Eve sinned, but here they are, and this is symbolic of what's going to happen to every person who believes. Every person who believes in Jesus, the breath, the Spirit of God is going to come inside of them, and they're going to become spiritually alive. Wow. Now, when we go back to the story of Nicodemus, Nicodemus is there. And he doesn't understand these things. Jesus talks about the wind. He says, we see the evidence of the wind, but we can't see it. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He said, you're not going to be able to look at a person and say, well, I can see the Holy Spirit in him. But we're going to see the evidence of the Holy Spirit in them. And that's something that we should understand. That when we believe in Jesus Christ, there is a change within us. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And, as before, and, and, and different as before, where maybe we just had a conscience and we knew the difference between right and wrong. This time, we have something much more. We don't just have a conscience, but now we have the Holy Spirit that's guiding, leading, directing us. And even though Jesus didn't come to us directly and breathe on us and say, Receive the Holy Spirit. When we received Jesus, the very same thing happened. His breath came upon us, and we received the Holy Spirit. So when he does come upon you, you are literally born again. The Bible says that you are regenerated. We talk about regeneration. Does anyone know what regeneration means? I am a generation of my dad. And of course... The second generation is my girls from my dad. When Jesus came and regenerated us, what it means is he came in and made us alive. And the reason it's called re, where we were once dead, he has generated spiritual life within us. And so now we are regenerated. That's what regeneration means. The Holy Spirit has come inside and has generated you You're a generation after Christ.